In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. There are guys out there that just, they can't live the life that they know they're supposed to live, that they know they even were made to live because they're not growing in their relationship with Christ. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is for you to become your best by calling you into the arena of manhood, calling you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and calling you up to your absolute best version of you. Because when you get it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we we salute salute you. you. Guys, thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos. I'm here with our producer, co-host, and the right-hand man of the Men in the Arena podcast, Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? I'm doing swell. Hey, I'm doing swell too. We got a guest on the show that wrote a book that really impacted me. He is the CEO of an organization that has worked with more than 35,000 churches and 12 million men. And so I'm just excited to get this on the show. He is an expert and a specialist in the field of manhood. And man, I'm excited about this. But before we get into our interview with Brett, do you got a man word for me? I do. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a risk here, and I, and I'm just based on our guest today, I'm gonna go with the word mirror, mirror. So I'm trying to M I R R O R. What's there to figure out? Do you have a word or not? I do have a word, but I'm Is trying to figure out how mirror would be a man word. Well, because the organization that he leads is called Man in the Mirror. I know that. Well, here's here's how I would say. Mirror would by say, itself, though, how would it be like I, don't, manly? I would figure you'd like wing it and fling it like you always do. No way, man. To I'm me, it's manly because you look in the mirror to discover who you are, and a leader looks out the window when things go good and looks in the mirror when things go bad. Oh, that's So that's good. how I would do it. That's a good so one. So I'm going to say I got that one right. Yoop, whoop. <laughs> no? What is the man word? <laughs> I was going to go with encourager. You were going to, or do you do? I am. Make a decision. With, so mirror, <laughs> that's good. I just didn't feel like, you know... Yeah. So encourager. so encourager. Yeah, we should be guys that are building people up instead of tearing them down, uh, especially with our kids and our, our wives. Everything that comes out of our mouths. And uh, lately, been hanging out a lot of guys that are very encouraging, and so just trying to be more of that. And uh, and check this out. Yeah, I know. It's I was going to say it's not hanging out with you. I was going to say you suck. <laughs> <laughs> But you didn't. No, you, let's you, keep going. We got were, a great guy. I'm going to get this guy on the show. going to. But 
Um, I just got to say, uh, I've been getting a ton of emails from these guys, the men in the arena, yeah. sharing about uh, the effects and uh, what's going on in their life, and it's encouraging. Yeah, every, really day the, every day of the week we're getting emails so from thank guys around you guys. the country, so it's really good. So guys, thank you for your input. Keep it coming, and make sure you shoot us a positive review on your uh, whatever you're using yeah, for Yeah, I searched through podcast. Spotify and some others, and I couldn't find where I could do a review, but I know on Apple you can. So of course you can. So excited! Hey, I want to brag about today's guest. He's our new friend, Brett Clemmer. Not only is a 1984 high school graduate, the greatest class of all times, but he's him and his wife Kimberly have been married for 27 years. They live in Castleberry, Florida. Brett is husband, father, disciple maker, and outdoor enthusiast, and an avid Boston sports fan. Now I am not, Woo! but you've got to say. That Tom Brady is the goat. <laughs> I don't care what you now. Tom Brady has established himself as a goat, and I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and I'm conceding. So uh, God bless the people in Boston, I guess. So uh, he currently, uh, Brett currently serves as the president of Man in the Mirror, and you heard the stats. Uh, they must be one of the largest, if not the largest, men's ministry in our country. Brett co-authored the book No Man Left Behind with Patrick Morley and David Delk. Highly impactful book. Love it. I actually use the book as a model to implement the men's ministry where I volunteer at the church I serve. So, uh, hey, it's great to have you on the show, Brett. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you. How's the weather up there in Florida? Uh, it's beautiful. Uh, we have two seasons in Orlando, paradise and hell. So we're in paradise. Uh, just, <laughs> just uh, We're in paradise for a few more months. We have two seasons in Oregon. What rain and construction? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the bugs are coming to Florida, huh? Yeah, it gets a little yeah. gets a little swampy over there. Yeah, you can swim outside during the summertime. <laughs> hey, Brett, I'm gonna throw you right into our rapid fire round. Rocking, all right. And what we're gonna do with this round? I've, I'm doing a round I've never done before. I took phrases from your bio and from your book. And I'm calling this the key phrase round. Key phrase, okay? All right. So you don't know what these are, but I'm going to throw these five phrases to you and see if you can hit them out of the park. I'm sure you will. So just to like, tell you what they make me think of? or And what they mean. What they mean. All right. I or got it. Or think of, just go with your gut, man. This is rapid fire stuff. So right. no, no, right. no cognition, baby. Intuition. Okay, here we go. All right. Biblical masculinity. Biblical masculinity. Uh, you know, really, you going to start with that one? Uh you know, I think there's a lot of talk. <laughs> there's a lot of talk out in the culture right now about that equates any masculinity with toxic masculinity. Oh. And, and uh, I am not. I am not one of those people that says there's no such thing as toxic masculinity. I just use a different word. I call it sinful masculinity. There's mm. sinful femininity too. Uh, but biblical masculinity is a man who uh, you know dies for his uh, dies for his wife every day, who leads his family well, who um, understands what it means to be a servant leader, not just a not a dictatorial leader uh, or an apathetic leader, uh, and who really wants to do. I think he wants to do two things uh, on a consistent basis. He wants to build God's kingdom, starting in, with his family, and he wants to bring God glory. No, that's really good, man. You know, I just when I look up the definition of masculinity, it it's base it says this: the qualities or attributes regarded as characteristic of men. And because right. that's the definition, that's a secular definition, because of that, I think that sinful masculinity, I would call that malehood, male behavior, childish behavior. But when men do manly things, 
masculinity is a good thing. It's never toxic. Yeah. It's not an oxymoron. It, that's more of a political phrase. And so, um, I, yeah, I just want to kind of get that one out of the way because I know you and I yeah. had a little bit of email back and forth and we're on the same team. So we're going to move into the next one, which is disciple making. Well, you know, uh, disciple making is, is what I think a lot of, we have, we have in our culture, Pat Morley, our founder likes to say, you know, we live in a spiritually obese, uh, church, uh, where men just keep taking in and taking in and taking in. And they know, they, they know all the right words and vocabulary and they go through the motions in the church, but they're really just kind of spiritually obese. What a disciple maker does is he's, he's living outside of himself. He's looking for the for the other men around him that need to be discipled. He's looking at his, even in his own family, at his wife and his kids and, uh, and figuring out how he can help them grow closer to Christ and uh, believe more passionately in Jesus and, and figure out how to help them live in Christ and serve Christ. So that, that would be a disciple maker to me. That's interesting. You turned it on me. I wasn't expecting that. I said disciple making and you turned it into disciple maker. And oh, I think, sorry about I that. think, no, no, no. I think that's good. I think there's something to that, right? If yeah. I am, if I am involved in becoming a disciple myself, I should be making disciples as well. Absolutely, that's the ultimate test, right? The fourth seed fell on the soil that produced fruit. It didn't just take it in and grow up. It actually produced new fruit from that. So, yeah, that disciple making means making disciples who make disciples. Yeah, that's so good. Well, you know, you talked about being spiritually obese church. You know, it's really interesting because we live in a phys- physically obese culture. Right. And I think the church is spiritually obese as well. And what we, 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 our organization is called Men in the Arena. And we would say those guys, those obese guys are the guys in the bleachers. They're anonymous. They're right. not engaged. In fact, in your book, you said something that was really alarming to me. And I had never read this statistic before. Well, I had read it before. I had underlined it, you know, years ago when I read the book. And I went back and reread it. You said that one out of 18 men in America is not attached to a community. And even more alarming than that, Brett, you said one out of seven men in church are not connected to a community. Does right. that explain the spiritual obesity in our, our churches today, or what, what are your thoughts? Oh, absolutely. The, if, if only one in seven men in the church are actually engaged in a, in a community that challenges them and helps them grow and gives them an opportunity to serve, the other six are just, uh, as as one pastor friend of mine called it, they're just pew gum. You know, they're just sort of sitting there, not doing anything, mm-hmm. taking up space mm-hmm. and uh, doing the bare minimum. So, and then the, and the frustrating thing is, is that uh, because they're just going through the motions, they're what we would call cultural Christians. Mm. They don't live that. They don't live the Christian life out in the world very, um, very consistently either. So other people see them. And they see six out of seven guys that actually are in church are, are at some level a hypocrite, even if, even if they don't mean to be, even if they're trying to be good guys. But if you're not growing, you're dying, you know? And yeah. so I think that's true in your faith too. And so there, there are guys out there that just, they can't live the life that they know they're supposed to live, that they know they even were made to live because they're not growing in their relationship with Christ. So I think it has a devastating effects. I'd rather I'd rather be around the guys that don't go to church and live that life than guys that do go to church and live that life. Well, yeah, because at least those guys are authentic. Yeah. The guys that aren't living the life but they're saying they're Christians are cultural Christians, they're they're professing to be something that they may or may not be. And you said right. you said that they can't live the life they were made to live. And what I would say is they're rejecting 
God's design for them to step into their best version of a man. Right. Why do you think guys settle? You know, life is hard, right? There's so many things going on. There's, there's, uh, you know, you've got every, every man, every married man probably has uh, a job, a wife, a, a family, he's trying to do some hobbies. And, um, you know, he's surrounded by a culture that bombards him with messages of, uh, of fake importance of things that are supposed to be important, whether mm. it's the, 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 the consumerism that we're surrounded with or the, or the, you know, the idea of looking good, you know, you get the health club thing or the, or having the prettiest woman on your arm. So you got to trade, you know, trade the old one in for a new model. Mm. Um, or, or what I see even more now is, especially with the younger guys that are coming up is just, I, I would just call it apathy. You yeah. know, they're just, they're not really, they're just sort of taking it as it comes. They're not really planning ahead. Um, you know, the, a little bit of this is, is just sort of the cultural norm that has shifted. And I, I think, I don't think this is good or bad. It's the results of it that are good or bad, but you know, it used to be that by the time a guy was 25, 26 years old, he had, he had finished his education, found a wife, found a career, found a house, and maybe even had his first child. Well now that, so 25, 26, you kind of were the cultural equivalent of a man. Well, now that could be 35. And so now people are living longer too. So it's, it's uh, some people call it prolonged adolescence. I don't, I don't like that phrase because I, I don't, I don't think it's prolonged adolescence. I think it's actually a new life phase hmm. of that young adult single man. And we haven't figured out how to give that man meaning because too often we define meeting as married, kid, house, you know, house, career, as opposed to Meaning is knowing your identity in Christ and figuring out what he's called you to do and be and pursuing that with all your heart and soul. Yes, we, we, we talk about guys entering the stress bubble and what you're saying when they get married and start having kids, but they're entering that stress bubble later and later in life. Right. And that should not inhibit them from walking into their best version as a man. Manhood, manhood doesn't start when you're married and have kids. Manhood starts way before that. It's yeah, a, I would say fit, I use the I use the age of fifteen, and uh, my reason is pretty is pretty secular, and uh, uh, maybe maybe some would consider it vulgar. But I figure uh, at fifteen you can do two things. In most states, you can drive a car, which means you can drive a two thousand pound death machine, <laughs> and uh, and you can get a girl pregnant. Yeah. So when you have the power of life and death, and you can cre- and you can get a girl pregnant, you you are in manhood in some sense. And so I, I think that's why the church, even and men, I tell men all the time, it's it's I walk into youth groups all the time where there's plenty of female volunteers, but there's no male volunteers or not enough men volunteering. And like the guys need to get into middle school and high schools, not as pastors, but just as guys, as men, and be reaching down into those young teenage boys' lives and beginning to give them a picture of what manhood. So they have something to aspire to, um, you know, that's more than just whatever the latest uh, video game or cultural trend or TV show or, you know, HBO miniseries or whatever. (laughs) Well, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, in the elementary school system, public school talking, it's dominated by female teachers. Right. And that changes a little bit in high school and middle school. But in the church, you walk into the church and it's the same situation. It's mostly women running the church. And we wonder why uh, the church is filled with mostly women. It's because mostly women are volunteering, and we need exactly. these guys to get in the children's department. We need these guys to get in the youth department and to get a little crazy in there. Turn that thing around yeah. a little bit. 
Absolutely. And I'll, I'll tell you, guys will do that if we give them a vision for that. So yep. I'll give you a, a quick example. In, the, in, the, in a church that, that I was at when I was first at Man in the Mirror, um, I got with my pastor, Pete Allinson, who's a great, great guy, leads a ministry now in Orlando called Forge. You should have him on. Okay. And uh, Pete, really, Pete really gets manhood. I mean, better than almost anybody I know. He was my pastor for 15 years and really helped build that into me. But we, we had a meeting uh, at our church, and I asked Pete to pull together all the all the leaders of the church that either had men engaged in their ministry in some way, like ushers, for instance, or, um, or had influence over, over men. So our youth pastor was there. And so we went around the table and we actually asked every guy to sort of share how men were engaged in their ministry and then a need that they had. And so we got to the youth pastor and he said, well, I, I, I don't really have any men engaged in my ministry um, except for like an intern in me. But uh, I, I would really love men. And so I went back to the men's leadership team that I was a part of. And I said, hey, put the word out. Our, our youth pastor needs guys to volunteer. Well, two weeks later, the youth pastor comes up to me. And he goes, I don't know what you did, but stop. And I, I said, what, why? What's going on? He said, I got more guys volunteering for youth ministry than I've ever had before. I can't get them. I, can't, I don't have places for all of them. What did you do? And I said, I just told them that you wanted them. That's all I did is I told them that you wanted them. And guys will go where they're wanted. They'll they'll serve where they're wanted, um, and we just have to give them that vision for the impact. That's what we did. We gave them a vision for the impact that they can make. Well, you know, we're back to that phrase, disciple making. What 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 the church fails at sometimes is this: men are drawn to mission. They're drawn to purpose, even in their relationships. My right. relationships are forged out of a common mission or purpose with another man. You know, a common right. goal we're striving after, and and I believe that men are natural sacrificers and they're they're w- very willing historically they're based virtually the only ones historically that fall on the sword men fall Absolutely. on the sword so when Absolutely. you stand up in church and say we need men to help here men go right. okay finally a hill to die on yeah and i and i would say um we have to like we need to be careful when we do that that we don't stray into the like putting guys to work you know jesus said the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few therefore pray for workers to yeah, come to the yeah. harvest so we need to pray, and he said, make disciples. So we need to pray for workers and make disciples. But I, I'd say the next step beyond that even is like, we'll give guys a vision for what they're yes. being a part of. So when you say to guys, hey, the youth group needs more volunteers, what they hear is, well, there's going to be a lot of just screaming kids playing stupid games, and I don't want to do that. But when you say to a guy, hey, there's there's young men in our youth group that need older guys to look up to. They need men that will show them what it means to be a biblical man. Uh, they need they need guys to befriend them. You know, a third of our kids in the church are, you know, have probably coming from a single parent household or have experience in a single parent household. You could really step into that void and help give them a picture that they don't have. Guys respond to that vision, and, and every man wants to be part of something bigger than themselves. Yes, and so you're giving them something to be a part of uh, uh, that he can make an impact. A lot of guys I know just they just don't want to do busy work. You know, they men are noble. Yep, uh, I really believe that men are no, we're created in the image of God, and men are noble. It's, it was when the Titanic went down; it was it was women and children on the lifeboat first, and nobody even questioned that. Fifteen hundred and one thousand five hundred and seventeen people died on that boat, and only a hundred and three women. Right, men right. went down with a ship. Yeah, that's right. Men are noble. So you said and we every didn't man call wants them to that nobility. No, you, we need to call them to that nobility. Is that that's so good, man? You said every man wants to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Do you think that that's one of the, I think there are several 
uh, innate differences between men and women, but this seems to be one of them to me. Oh yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, um, yeah, I, I would say it's, I would say women want to be part of something bigger than themselves too, but it's a different, it's, it's a different perspective on what that means. Like, um, uh, and I, and I can't speak to women's, um, personality who, who of us can, uh, smartly anyway. Yeah, I'm uh, not going there, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, there's, there's lots, of, I mean, there's, there's several differences between, between men and women and, and, uh, Anybody that likes science knows that there's a difference between men and women. So, anybody who likes truth, yeah, yeah. Hey, so the next phrase I've got for you, this is on page forty-five of your book, and it's listed later on. But I just love this when you talk about in the context of men's ministry, you use this phrase. Now I've downsized it, but here it is: head, heart, and hands. Yes, yeah, men. So we, uh, we need to men engage men in all three levels. Head would be your intellect, what what we learn. Um, we need to know the Bible. We need to understand theological truths. We need to understand our our roles as husbands and fathers, the role of the church in the world. We need to understand how our churches work. We even need to uh, know ourselves, you know, our, our career uh, or our skill level, you know, whatever that is. If you're a salesman or a mechanic or an executive, there's knowledge that you need to have. And then your heart are the things that you believe in or the things that you're passionate about. Um, you know, so we need to believe that God loves us. Uh, um, we need to believe, uh, um, we need to bleed, uh, for our families and, and for their, and for their best, you know, for the best to happen with them. Um, we need to have a heart for a a lost and broken world. Um, and, uh, and then, and then our hands are what we do. So how do we carry that out? And that's everything from, you know, being the leader in your household, providing discipline to your kids, leadership to your wife. It means doing a great job at work um, because you're doing it for God's glory. Um, it means having a, having daily time with God um, and, and being in prayer and, and uh, studying the Bible, being engaged in a small group. And th- these are, these are interlocking, right? They're not, yeah. they're not m- mutually exclusive, but they, they have fancy terms too. Uh, orthodoxy, uh, orthopathos and orthopraxy. I just wanted to sound smart there for a second. I'm impressed. Um, that's, what, that's what theologians <laughs> will use for those three phrases. We didn't come up with this. In fact, if I if I could say one thing real quick about No Man Left Behind, none of it's original. There's nothing in that book that somebody <laughs> else hasn't said already. You know, we stand on the shoulders of churches that have been discipling men effectively, and we just learned from them, and then we took all the principles that we learned from those churches and wrote a book that gave a model just so you could remember it better. It's very similar to, I don't know if you've heard the, of the book, Good to Great, the Jim Collins business book, Good to Great. We just copied them in their, in their process and we just applied it into the church. And then we just stole all the good stuff that we learned from people. So uh, nothing original in there. Oh no, nothing that is true is new and nothing that is new right. is true. I just uh, did a podcast with a, a general, uh, Air, retired Air Force general, uh, just today, Scott Wiggins and we actually spent an extensive time on Jim Collins' book, specifically the Level Five Leader. And, oh, there and you the go. Humility, yeah. the 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 innate humility combined with the the fierce passion for the uh, to accomplish the will, the the goal, the vision. So, really, really right. good stuff. So, no, I I love what you said about men bleed for the best to happen in their families, and I would say males don't. Men do. Yeah. This is something men yeah, absolutely. do. Absolutely. And so we've just, you know, anyway, but let's move on then. Okay. So the next one here, and and I don't know if this is in your book, 
but I stole this because when I read the book, I lo- I resonated with your conveyor belt uh, yeah. illustration that you had throughout the book and how we have this this you know we've got base, we've got the conveyor belt, you know it's producing things constantly, and I actually use this to implement the strategy for our actual church. So I've got a I'm a full time guy who runs a ministry to men, but I also volunteer in my church, and I actually am in charge with a team of great guys. So we run a men's ministry. That's awesome. And so we've used your model. And so I'm going to coin a phrase that I don't know if it's in your book. I'm just using it anyway, and I want you to explain it. Systematic men's ministry. Yeah, and uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, there's a phrase in business, your system is perfectly designed to produce the results that you're getting. No, and by the way, nobody knows where that came from. A lot of people like to take credit for it. But so your system's perfectly designed pro- to produce the results you're getting. So if you have a, a from this is from the book to automobile manufacturer car a car factory, and every third car that rolls off the assembly line, the right front fender falls off. Well, you don't get mad at the car, and you don't get mad at the fender. You have a manufacturing process that's perfectly designed to produce a 33% failure rate in right front fender attachment. So you fix the system, you fix the process. Well, in our churches, we have a discipleship system too. It's perfectly designed to produce the men we have sitting in our pews or the, mm. or the men that aren't sitting in our pews. And so if you, if you want to um, disciple men more effectively and you just keep trying to do more of the same things that you've been doing that, that have not worked in, in um, consistently creating male disciples, well, that's just the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again and accepting, expecting a different result. So what you need to do is you need to look at the system systemically, what is going on in your church. So are you drawing men in? Are you getting men to take a step by showing them something that has some value to it? Are you, um, once you get, once you get a guy to take even the tiniest step forward, are you giving him a next step to take? So that he always knows that's why we use the conveyor belt as a, as a, as a metaphor, because once you're on it, once we can get you to step on the conveyor belt by just doing one thing, we want the, we want everything else to be seamless. And so that takes a lot of planning. That takes a lot of intentionality on the part of a leadership team like yours. But once you get it going and you, and you figure out, okay, this is how we're going to draw guys in at different stages of spiritual growth. This is how we're going to draw them in. This is a, a easy short-term second step that they can take. And then here's some longer term discipleship opportunities that we're going to plug them into. And we're going to, we're going to accept the fact we're going to accept the parable of the four seeds. We're going to accept the fact that some guys aren't going to do anything and some guys are going to respond great, but then, but then fall away. And some guys are going to do good for a little while until the worries and cares of the world distract them. And then some guys are going to stick, but we're going to, we're also going to trust that God, that a, first seed guy today, maybe a second seed guy tomorrow and a third seed guy next month and a fourth seed guy next year. And we're just going to keep trying. We're just going to have a system that keeps reaching out and keeps giving guys opportunities to get engaged. I love what you said, Brett. You said the one thing. Now that reminds you of a certain movie that we watched in the eighties. Remember that movie, right? City Slickers. Oh yeah, but men tend to get overwhelmed, and this is a theme with us. We, we we tend to, as men's ministry leaders, as men who communicate to other men, we tend to overwhelm men and overpower men. Oh, yeah. with the, with how screwed up they are and how jacked up they are. And instead, maybe we should look at them and go, "Okay, bro, pick one thing, just yeah. one thing. Do you go to church? No. Okay, if you say you're a Christian, 
then we want to highly recommend a church for you. Or if you're in a church, you're one of those one in seven guys that are in the bleachers. Get into plug in. One, what is one thing? Now, you said something here I thought was really good. We talk about the conveyor belt. We talk about the systematic approach and to measure the health systematically. So if one out of every three cars is coming with a fender falling off, we've got to look at that fender. Uh, and I'm, I wrote down as you were speaking... Uh, that there are some measurements that maybe we could use as church leaders to measure the health of our men. One is, is our ratio of men connected to community better than one to seven? Yeah. Another one I thought was, what is the percentage of attendance? Is our church mostly women? Most churches, to me, seem to be mostly women. Our it's church, six, Yeah, it's 60-40 um, nationally, and then some denominations are, are much worse than that, and some are close to even or... or you know, right at 50%. There's more women than men in general. So you're, you'd expect a sort of a 51, 49 totally. number, but in our church, we're about 60% men, 40% women on Sundays, which tells us we're doing something well. And that's then the amazing. number one, I th- other thing I thought about was the all number the women are, te- all the women are teaching Sunday school. That's why. Well, you know, what's yeah. <laughs> well, we count, Hey buddy, we count all the Sunday school teachers. If you've got a pulse in there, we count you baby. <laughs> well, but here's the fun part about our church. It's really just bragging about our church. I was in the, we did a remodel of the sanctuary. It's this all reclaimed wood. It's just awesome. Very manly. But in the bathroom, it's all reclaimed wood. And I went in to go to the bathroom. We live in a, we live in the heart of wine country in Oregon, and there's this picture of this deer on the on the wall. And I went out to the gal who's in charge of all of the decor. I said, who's in charge of that? And this other gal said, oh, me. I was thinking about the men when I put that in there. I'm like, okay, oh. the women are thinking about how do we reach the men. Absolutely. That's, you know, we, we, talk, we talk about creating a man code in your church. So this is like yeah. the environment for guys. And so you know, and so we talk about, you know, the, you know, I, I, when I do trainings, I make the, I make all the leaders raise their right hand and say, I will, I promise I will not put potpourri in the men's room, you know, cause that's, that's like dried flowers. <laughs> no like, flowers you know, on the podium. <laughs> yeah. Put some cedar shavings in there or something like a hamster cage. Oh, you preach know? it baby. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but what, what we say is creating an environment that's friendly to men yes. that you want to give men the message. Men are important here. Men are relevant here. Men are, men are wanted here. Men are leaders here. That doesn't preclude women feeling important or valued or relevant or or even or even like leaders, and and there is no one more excited about a man being discipled than his wife. Absolutely right. There is nobody that benefits more from a man being discipled than the than the kids in his family and the and the people that are around him, especially the women that are around him. And so we like to say, "Man in the Mirror" exists because of the tears and prayers of millions of women yep. who are just want a godly man in their lives. So good, man. So, man code is one of my phrases. Can you walk us through that again? You went, you flew over it. What does it yeah, mean sure. by so, man code in your church? Yeah. So um, imagine if I. Uh, so in your in your church, uh, how do guys dress? Do they wear like uh, business casual shorts? Uh, no, shirts? we're in very Oregon's very casual. It's blue jeans. Uh, Maybe some kind of boot, a lot of ag guys. Yeah, so, yeah. All right. So boots and jeans, right? Yeah. And you have a sign, you have a sign out front that tells guys how to dress so they all know to dress in boots and jeans, right? No, guys <laughs> get it. Guys just perceive it. They walk in yep. and within within three minutes they know sort of what the environment is like. And so what are you doing in your church to make men like when they walk in feel um, like this place is for them? Yes. So I've seen churches do awesome stuff uh, like a fireplace with a fire in it or, uh, you know, earth, a little earth tone stuff. 
Uh, I went to a church in Montana. They had tools and wheelbarrows and ladders hanging from the ceiling in the lobby because they were doing a series that was themed on tools for the Christian life. And they, you know, and they told me, you know, we're trying to get the men. The women will come almost no matter what we do. Yep. We've got it. We've got to show the guys that this is a place that's for them. And so it can be simple things like look at the um, look at the bulletin. You know, you see like eight, you know, 18 things for kids and a dozen things for women. They all have really cool names, you know, really cool titles. And then it says and then at the bottom, it'll say like uh, men's meeting Thursday, 730 room 604. Like, well, that that's exciting. I really want to go do that. That must be important. It's the only thing in the bulletin that yeah. even says that. Um, the bathrooms are a place that you can have fun doing stuff, you know, put up diamond plate on the walls, put Clint Eastwood posters up, put the soft church softball trophies up in there. You know, there's there's all kinds of little things that you can do. Very practical. There's, you know, there's no Bible verse about this. You know, it's yeah. just it's just like think about what a, what we'll say to men that we value you here. And, uh, and make it a place that they want to be so that that gives you the opportunity to really uh, share the gospel with them more often. No, I agree. Like we, we, our room is a little darker and it's a little cooler, Yeah. you know, for the men. And then, and the messages need to be, have objects involved, you know, just stuff. Right. And the, absolutely. And the worship needs to have manly lyrics, not, oh. you know, your fragrance is intoxicating in our secret oh. place. I clutch feel you moving. Yeah. Oh clutch my me to your gosh. Bosom, Lord. That's what I, I call them. Clutch oh. me to your bosom, Lord songs. And, yeah. uh, and they're sung in the key of female, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't reach the notes. And so I, I tell people all the time, look, men have sung for the entirety of history that we know. Yeah. Men have sung men going into war, sing men, men rowing on ships have sung, you know, men sing except in the like American church yeah. and why, and it's not because there's anything wrong with them, but guys are standing there with their arms crossed uh, staring at the screen because they literally can't sing it because it's too high for them to reach. Yeah. And all it takes is once or twice, you know, straining and feeling like you sound stupid and you're just going to stop trying. Well, and I only sing the man parts of songs, so I don't lulu, lu, la, la, la. I just, I yeah. just stick to the man stuff. Hey, Brett, we're going to take a short break and hear from our sponsor. We're going to come right back at you. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with a mission to help men become their best version and change their world. The war to change your world is epic. Every battle counts, and every man in the arena matters. Our closed Facebook forum for men, appropriately called Men in the Arena, is a great way for you to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today. Hey, because of my passion to see men get out of the bleachers into the arena, I want to offer a free resource to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Simply give us your email. We'll send you a PDF copy of the field guide. This is my 365-day bathroom book for men. It's a study of manly words in the Bible illustrated with great stories. This is a great resource for all of our arena men. Guys, you're going to love this book. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those in the anonymous bleachers pleading for you to get in the arena today? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. Hey, Brett, can you just take a minute here? And I got some questions about your book and about the, uh, some of the things you guys are talking about with Man in the Mirror. Can you tell us just your personal story a little bit about your life, the things you enjoy, just a little bit more to give our guys some context into your life? Yeah, sure. So uh, I grew up in New England, so that's why I'm a Patriots, <laughs> uh, Red Sox, Bruins fan, Where, Celtics fan. Whereabouts? Uh, I grew up in a, li- in a little town that you've read about in your history books called Lexington, 
where the oh, shot heard around the world. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, th- so that was a great place to grow up. And, um, I uh, love, I love, I love being a New Englander. And it's been, so I spent the first half of my life basically up there and the second half of my life in Florida. I uh, met a girl, uh, I went to, went to college up there, went to a literal, um, liberal capital, L-I-B-E-R-A-L arts school called Tufts University up there. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then met my wife uh, while I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. My dad worked in, on at this point was working on Wall Street, and so I, I moved in with them after college, like everybody seems to do. <laughs> and uh, but long enough to meet the pastor's daughter of the church my parents were going to, and convince her to marry me. <laughs> and then I and then I dragged her to Florida. So um, I majored in college in fraternity, and uh, also got a psychology degree while I was there. And um, I had a lot of fun and had a lot of gr- have a lot of great fraternity brothers even to this day, and and in fact you know, I I can come back to this the fraternity life that I led is actually a huge model for me a huge impetus for me in the way that I think about discipleship wow. because many of the thing many of the ways that the Bible talks about brotherhood I saw lived out in my fraternity much more authentically and um, comprehensively than I see in most churches that I go into but that's wow. that's an, another story but I moved to Florida. Um, I was really not walking with Christ very closely in college, and and I was I was sort of a cultural Christian. I grew up in the church, you know. If the doors were open, the clemmers were there. Um, Gordon McDonald was my pastor growing oh, wow. up, you know, so I got great preaching. You know, the Tim Keller of his day. Yeah. And um, but I was really not walking with Christ in college. My my wife was a preacher's kid, and she was pretty, um, you know, she was pretty cultural at that point too. She was. We were both kind of. We we knew the church system so well that we just kind of got a little, um, you know, we, we just, we were a little condescending about it. <laughs> so we yeah. moved to Florida and uh, I do, I do a number of different things, worked in some nonprofits and, and ended up uh, with some buddies starting up a software company in 1999. And that software company did great the first year. And then all the, um, all the uh, venture capitalists got involved with us and we're just, we had, we're just poised to sort of go over the edge into our first round of funding and the market crashed in 2000 and we kind of got left hanging in the wind. And, um, it was, it was that time that, that two things happened. One is, um, my, uh, my marriage is in serious trouble. Oh, whoa. And, uh, uh, I was traveling all the time for work. I had two toddlers at home. We were super involved in church, but, but it was, it was just to be involved. It was just to do things. And, uh, and so my wife, un, un, really unbeknownst to me at the time, was really trying to figure out, am I going to have to actually tell my dad that my marriage isn't going to work out? My dad, the pastor, wow. her, her dad. Um, and then the second thing that happened was a buddy at church called me up and our wives were in a small group together. And he said, um, hey, I think the husbands of all the women in that small group should get together and we should have a small group if for no other reason than just to protect ourselves, because I'm pretty sure they're talking about us. And, uh, I said, I said, all right, uh, I got to do something. You know, my, my business is failing and my marriage is failing and I don't, I don't really know what to do. And so I said, well, well, I've been in church my whole life. We're going to have a small group. We got to read something. What are we going to read? And he said, they gave some book away at church a couple weeks ago for men. Just bring that book. And so I go find the book and the book's called the man in the mirror. <laughs> and so, yeah. uh, I didn't know anything about the ministry or Pat or anything. So I, I opened the first chapter. It's called The Rat Race. I understood that. And then the second chapter we read was called uh, Leading an Unexamined Life. And then the third chapter was called Are You a Cultural Christian or a Biblical Christian? Mm. And I was I was mad. 
because the guy wrote a book about me, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I'm in this group with these guys. I'm three or four weeks into this. And we're doing that normal man group thing where we're all speaking Christian mumbo jumbo to each other. So a guy would say like, oh, I had a rough week, but you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christian and cliches. Another, <laughs> another guy would say, oh, I had a, such a blessed week. God was so good to me this week. And I got, I, I basically got to the point where I'm like, I, I can't do this as, anymore. This is, this is, this is bull, you know? And so I, I remember throwing my book down on the table, saying something stronger than this is bull and saying, <laughs> guys, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, we're like sitting here reading a Christian book, saying Christian things to each other. And my life is falling apart. My mm. business is, is, uh, is in deep trouble. My marriage is in deep trouble. And I don't know what I'm going to do. And I can't just come here week after week and act like, you know, everything's going to be okay if I just trust Jesus enough. Like that's not, it's not doing it for me. And the guy next to me goes, I can't believe you said that. And I'm like, oh, here we go. And he says, <laughs> um, I'm really struggling with porn. And the next guy said, my marriage is in trouble too. And the next guy said, my business is in trouble. And I haven't told my wife, I took a second mortgage out on my house. And the, th and you know, we went around the table and every guy was like, I've got a serious thing going on in my life until we got to Jim. Jim was the last guy. Jim's eyes were like saucers when we got to him. And Jim, Jim looks around the table and he goes, uh, you know, seriously, like I'm okay. Like my life is going pretty well right now. And he's like, I I'm not even sure I should be here with you guys. You know, I was like, Jim, <laughs> Jim, you can't leave. You're our only hope, you know? Yeah. And here's the funny thing. Every guy in that room was a leader in the church. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And nobody knew the struggle that they were in. So those guys, uh, we bonded. You know, we locked arms. We, we confronted our sin together. We called each other to account together. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. I, I, one of my problems with my marriage is I was traveling so much. So they would, like, probably every other week, they'd be like, Hey, pull your, pull your schedule out. We want to look at it. I thought you were going to say, pull your head out. <laughs> yeah. Pull, pull your schedule out. We want to look at it. I'd be like, why? Well, we want to make sure you're not traveling too much. You know? And I'd show them my schedule. Like, did you run all these past, past your wife, Kimberly? And I'm, you know, I'm like, no, I didn't. Well, you need to go run them past Kimberly. Cause it seems to us like you're traveling too much. And, uh, and so it was just, it was real. It was, it was caring. It was loving. It wasn't nice. It wasn't nice. It was gentle and kind, but it wasn't nice. Good. Um, it was, it was real and authentic. And, and, uh, and so that, that was sort of my, my, uh, introduction to man in the mirror. And then by the end of the year, um, Jim, remember Jim, the, yep, the guy, yeah, everything yeah. Before, he actually had given my resume to Pat cause he knew him. And, um, I, my company went out of business and I needed a job. And so man in the mirror actually called me and said, uh, uh your buddy, Jim gave us your resume. I think we're supposed to talk. And uh, I was like, these no ministry is going to hire me. I almost just wrecked my marriage, you know? Uh, but, uh, I, uh, we, we put the company out of business at the beginning of November. And by the end of November, I was employed here and, uh, it's been just an awesome, awesome, a ride here as I've, uh, as I've, uh, experienced God's, uh, grace and truth and, and the brotherhood of just even the guys that work here. That's so powerful, man. I, I wrote down two things from what you just shared. Number one, you were this man. You were this man in the story. It takes just one guy with the guts to move past this garbage Christian cliche stuff and speak truth yeah. to transform a room. And the second thing is, once you determine, once that man with guts starts the ball rolling, you need men. I call them men on the roof, Mark chapter 2. I need men on the yeah. roof with the guts enough 
to tell me the truth, even if it hurts. The face faithful right. are the wounds of a friend, the proverb right. uh, says. And we just need to have those guys who are going to call us out, who have the guts to do it. Otherwise, we live an unexamined life, which is chapter two of the book. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, and, so- you know, fruit, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentle, self-control. Nice is not in there. No, but you did. You forgot goodness. Goodness is the yeah. one that's in there. Yeah, but nice is not in there. It's not in there. And I think I think guys, uh, uh, especially sort of in this feminized culture that we live in, guys are too busy trying to be um, nice and inoffensive and um, and appropriate. And yeah, uh, yeah, he's great. And uh, uh, he just held up uh, No More Christian Nice Guys, a great a great book about that. Yeah. Uh, and so that's that's what we need to be as men. We need to be loving. But but the, a loving a, a guy who loves his kid doesn't say to his child and standing in the middle of the highway, um, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you might not want to stand there because a speeding car might hit you. I mean, you go grab your kid and get them out of danger, whether they like it or not. You know, whether they scream at you or not. So, well, I think that's part of the problem with the Christian culture is that we're so we're so set on being nice to everybody, not offending people. We've become a culture of peacekeepers. Instead of peacemakers, you know, my friend right. Paul Coughlin, it's the 10-year anniversary of his book, No More Christian Nice Guy, and he talks about this goodness versus niceness, and that's what you're talking about. You yeah. you sat in that room of a bunch of nice guys and said, you know what, I'm tired of being nice. Yeah, and I have a, I have a different word that I love and, and that's part of this whole conversation, which is the, the word winsome. Oh, I think I think we should be winsome. I think people should want to hear what we have to say. I think people should should look at us and say... This this person, even though they may be saying difficult things and disagreeing with me, like they're they they're speaking in a compelling way that shows that their motivation is not being right. Their motivation is not beating me up. Their motivation is love and goodness. And I think when you can say almost whatever you want, if you're if you're coming from a heart of love and goodness, um, and and that that so I I love the word winsome. It's that it's that First Peter four fifteen. You know, always be prepared to be, to give a defense. Yeah. You know, but do it but do it with gentleness and respect, and uh, that that's winsomeness to me. Well, and, and Jesus said you are salt of the earth. So I, I I think of your your reference to First Peter three fifteen and sixteen, and then I think of being salt. You know, season it. Know how to season it properly. Right. I looked right. up winsome because I'm not a I'm not the smartest apple on the tree here, and I want <laughs> winsome is attractive or appealing in appearance or character. So you're standing there in front of your people, saying, and they look at you and they go, "This is a man I can respect and trust because he's earned it." Right. And that, right. I guess that takes time, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It does take time. It takes you know. It takes building trust. Um, and, uh, I, I think honestly, it's why the Christian church sometimes comes across as shrill and, um, and, and just hardens people's positions. It's instead of like Jesus, uh, here's the best example I can use. So Jesus, when he healed the lepers, if you look at, at I think it's Mark two, it says he touched them and he, he and then he healed them. Oh, and th- think about think about that for a second, because he what he should have done as a rabbi is he should have healed them and then touched them Correct. because they were unclean. So he went to them in their uncleanness. He made himself unclean by touching them, and then he showed his power over their over their uh, uncleanliness by uh, by healing them. 
And then he all every time he healed somebody, he almost always then gave them a directive to go and stop sinning, you know, to yes. go and live the life that you're called to live as a child of God. But he healed them first. Well, it's funny. And he joined yeah. you in your in your brokenness first. Well, what's interesting is you talk about Mark two and the lepers healing of the leper. In Mark two, the first uh, twelve verses is the healing of the paralytic. Right. And all the paralytic brought to the table was his brokenness. And his willingness. He's not even his name. He's never, his name is not mentioned. He doesn't say a word. And it's right. really interesting because his buddies brought him to Jesus, Mark records, to hear Jesus. Right. And then, then Jesus, challenging authority, forgives him first and then doesn't right. heal until after. It was almost an afterthought. Exactly. Yeah. Like this guy's yeah. brokenness is more than physical. He has a different right. brokenness. Exactly. And exactly. So, so well, Jesus met the need, the need that most needed to be met first every yes. time. And then, and then he started giving the, then, okay, therefore almost, you know, because, because you've experienced this power, because you've experienced this healing now, now go and live in, in a way that that's consistent with that. Is that, I love what you're saying, Brett. So he, he met the need first. So here's my question to you. When you look at our culture, I have a real passion for ministry to men in America, cause that's where I live. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the key issue of our time? What is the key need of our time? If you were to nail it all down, what is it? Well, I I, I don't know if it's a, a capital T H E, but I would say, uh, <laughs> in my in my opinion, the biggest scourge on our culture right now is fatherlessness. Oh yeah, for sure. And um and I think it's I don't think it's just divorce related fatherlessness or wedlock out of birth uh, out of wedlock birth related fatherlessness, although that's a huge part of it, but it's also absent fatherlessness. Yes. You know, emotionally absent, spiritually absent. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, if you look at, if you look at the guys in their twenties and thirties now, I think the statistic is somewhere between 40 and 50% of the young men spend at least a portion of their youth in a home without a father. Yeah. Um, and there are things that you get from your dad that you just, no matter, and moms are, Hey, there's, Single moms are heroes. There's no, there's no question Absolutely. about that. This isn't about beating up on single moms. But, Absolutely. You know, you learn. I, I feel like you learn your emotional intelligence from your mom, but you learn your integrity from your dad. Your oh. dad's the one that helps you understand black and white. That helps you understand right and wrong. That helps you understand, you know, results and consequences in a way that that you know. And they, and there's things that moms do better too. You know, as far as the nurturing side and compassion and kindness. And it's, that's why it takes both, you know, for, for a man to have both of those is really what he needs. And if you look at, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't like to beat up on pastors. I love pastors, but you know, there are so many pastors out there who have such deep father wounds Yeah, because their dads were absent, either, either physically absent or emotionally absent. And, um, and they didn't get what they needed from their dad. Well, how, and you know what the overwhelming response of a, of a, of a pastor, of a man like that, when he gets, when, when he had that as a boy, when he gets to be a man, he's afraid of authentic manhood. Yeah. He's afraid of, of men that are masculine because it, because he doesn't, you know, if he, especially if he had an abusive dad, you know, it brings up and it's not, he's not a mamby pamby. It's, it's, it's his experience, you know, it's how he got, it's how he got wired. And that's why the gospel, that's why we, you know, the power of the gospel brings healing. It can bring healing to that too. But, you know, it's like the, it's like the, uh, the man by the fountain when Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? You know, do you want to be healed? And I, I think until we sort of um, 
bring those things before Christ and our brothers and say, hey, help me overcome this, it's hard to really get healing um, from things like that. Well, here's what I've experienced, and, and we, like I said, I'm a, I love my local church, I'm an elder at my local church, I love the local churches, our bread and butter is the local church, but you hit something that's, that's, that's true, and, and without talking about pastors, I'll say this, authentic men are scary in the churches today because they are winsome and they are good, but they are not soft and they are not nice, and it takes a winsome and a good pastor who is comfortable in his own skin to handle biblical masculinity. Oh, yeah. And and just because you're a biblical man doesn't mean you're mature. Oh, <laughs> preach <know>? it. <laughs> so you so you may you may step on toes. You may say the wrong thing. You may, um, you know, do dumb things sometimes. I mean, goodness, look at the disciples, you know. Um, I love how they would wait around after Jesus told a parable. And then when nobody was there, they'd say, hey, uh, yo, gee, could you explain that to us? Because yeah. we didn't quite get it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so that's normal. And, and um, a good, I've been around some really, really great pastors who, who, are, who are okay with guys not being perfect, who are okay. And, you know, and they'll, and they'll sort of have their guys' backs. But you know why they have their guys' backs? Because they know their guys have their back. Well, you and I have a mutual church in common on St. Yeah. Simon's Island. Yeah. What's, do you know the name of that church? You know, uh, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that. I think I it's don't St. remember. Simon's I think it's St. Simon's Community Church. I know they got that lake there. Uh, those guys, yeah. those guys there. I sat in a meeting with those guys. Are those guys. They are crushing it with their Ironman conference. But I was in a meeting with the, about ten of those guys and two of their pastors, and those pastors just took it and were yeah. like, "Okay, let's go conquer that hill. Let's go charge hell the squirt gun." I'm like, "Okay, that's a church yeah. that I want to be a part of." Yeah, and we were there on a Sunday at the end of their men's retreat, and they. Um, this is a church that loves its men and, and has a good man code. Yeah. So what they did is they basically uh, um, completely took over their service and it became the last session of the men's conference. And so, and the goal of the day was to explain to the, everybody else in the church, the, the women and children in the church and the men who couldn't go that, that year, what had happened over the weekend, how it was affecting the men and what commitments the men had made going forward and how that was going to impact the church. And they had guys share testimonies. You know, they shared a video of the weekend that they said had the, all the safer church uh, video in it. And, uh, yeah. you know, and just, and then, and then just talked about, okay, these, these are the kind of men, this is what it means to be a man in this church in front of everybody. And, you know, for a pastor to say, Hey, I'm not going to preach this Sunday. Instead, I'm going to let them, I'm going to let my men share how their lives were changed this weekend. You know, that's a church that really values its men and um, is is willing to help grow them and build them into the kind of men that God calls them. And and the best thing of all, Brett, is they had alligator for their men's retreat. Oh, yeah. They ate gator. Okay, yeah. that's oh, on yeah. bucket list, hashtag bucket list. Hey, yeah. on page 35 of your book, you, you make a comment, but I want to lead into it by saying this. Our mantra with the, the Men in the Arena and the Men in the Arena podcast is when a man gets it, Everyone wins. wins. And a friend of mine, Jeff Voth, has a ministry called Cave Time, and he wrote this in his book, Get Men Right, or he goes, basically, as men go, so the culture goes. And then you wrote in your book on page 35, get men right, get marriages right, get families right, get churches right, get society right. A spiritual reformation of society starts with a spiritual reformation of men. That is so important. That is such a powerful statement. Can you walk us through that? Sure. Well, I mean, the the 
you know, the church is the best hope that we have to change the world. Yes. And churches are made up of families and the marriage is the key component, the key relationship in a family. And, and, you know, so if we're going to, if we're going to get marriages right, we really need to fix all those women out there. Um, no, right. We, the women are not the problem. (laughs) No, most marriages, no, uh, men, men are the issue. Even, even when, even though now you're more and more, you are seeing women leave a marriage. It's usually only after sort of years of, of emotional neglect and spiritual abuse. And then now they have more options than they've ever had before. And so, and so they can, they can leave. Um, and so, uh, you know, we got to get men right when we get men, when we get men, right. When we, when we turn a man towards Christ and, and, and get his heart engaged and, and his head in his hands, but really get his heart engaged. Yeah. Um, you know, everything flows out from that. He's going to be a better husband. He's going to be a better dad. Uh, he's going to be a better churchman. He's going to be a light in the workplace and the marketplace. And that, you know, men being a light in the marketplace is a huge way for men to impact our culture. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, and then families being active in the community is, a, is another huge way to impact our culture. Well, I love what you said, man. I, I, I believe that 100%. If you change the heart, you change the men. What I've realized about men is they will fix themselves if their heart changes. Men are fixers, so you don't need to give men a whole lot of help to get them right. Uh, you, you made a comment, and I want to just speak to it a little bit. You know, you talked about women are not the problem, and the implication there is men are the problem, and I would agree, and I think you would agree that you fix a man, you fix men, you fix 80 to 90% of the world's problems. Yeah, yeah, but, not all of them, but, but most. But here's the thing. The same people saying men are the problem won't take the next step. And the next step is men are the solution. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Well, let me let me say let me say two things. One real quick just to your prior point. We we have a saying here, Christianity's not about behavior modification, it's about heart transformation. Love it. So the best the best gift you can give to a man is help him change the core affections of his heart. And uh, once you do that, like you said, then then everything else falls into place. Well, hey, you in your book, let me go back to your book. And this is on chapter four. You talk, you ask the question, how do men change? So our podcast is great. I mean, we have thousands and thousands of guys getting on this from all around the world. Our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook is great. We've got 85 nations represented in this thing. But we rep, we understand that we aren't the answer to all. It takes more than just a podcast or a forum or a book to change men. What 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 is what is the what is the pathway that you guys recommend to change men? Yeah, I think uh, if you could get every man to do three things, you'd probably change his life. Uh, one is to be in the scriptures every day. Uh, you know, the the um, um, we've just never seen meaningful change happen in the absence of God's word. Yeah. Second, the second thing is to get him in a group of other men who are heading in the same direction. Um, you know, also most change happens in the context of relationships. So get guys into small groups or yes. some kind of a group activity. And then the third thing is get him, uh, in some kind of service or a better way of saying that would be is get him to use his gifts and callings for the, for kingdom work, not just for, uh, um, uh, not just for, uh, commerce work, you know? And so, uh, so in the Bible every day in a small group with other men and, and using his skills to build the kingdom. And then when, if we, if you get a guy doing those three things, you know, you're going to, you're going to get a guy who's, who's a better dad, better husband and so on. So a guy needs to be in the word. He needs to engage his head in the word. He needs to be in Christian service. He needs to engage his hand in service and he needs to be in a Christian community where he can engage his heart 
in an authentic way with good men who have guts and refuse niceness. Winsome men. Absolutely. And and again, those are not mutually exclusive. Those, you know, there's, there's overlap for all those three. It's all integrated. That is so good. I love the head, heart and hands. I mean, you, you said it just now again with the, in the word, in the community, in the service. That's so powerful to me. I hope these guys can get this picture and I've got, I can't leave Brett without quoting you. Uh, this is a quote I use all the time. I give you full credit, of course, uh, but usually there's three of you, so I say, uh, you know, Morley, Delkin, Clemmer, but now I'll start saying yeah. Clemmer, Delkin, Morley <laughs> until I get Morley on my podcast. But you said this, and I think this is so powerful, and the men need to listen. We can say with confidence that we have never known a man whose life has changed in any significant way apart from regular study of God's word. Hey, there's a line in the sand, huh? You just drew the yeah, line absolutely. in the sand, buddy. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it's the living word of God, right? They call it that for a reason. Well, I love it. In Hebrews chapter uh, 4, verse 12, it says, uh, For the word of God is a living act of sharper every double-edged sword and is able to penetrate soul and spirit joints marrow and, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of a heart. And then it says, For everything is open and laid bare before him to whom we'll give an account. So that word open means naked and laid bare. There are three illustrations for laid bare. One is the rear naked choke in wrestling where you're totally exposed. The other one was they would, t- they would tie a knife around your neck where the blade was pointing at your chin as you walked from the courthouse to the jail so everybody had to look you in the eye. And the other, the other analogy is, is filleting an, an, an animal and having it laid there, flayed them open. And that's what the Word of God does. It opens us up and to Him who can see our heart. It's just such a wonderful, powerful thing. And I wish our men uh, you know, would engage more in the Word of God with a community of men that will have the guts to call them out. Right, absolutely. I'll tell you what I, I love men in the arena, or men in the I love men in the arena, but I love, I love men in the arena too. Yeah, and I, and I love man in the mirror. Uh, you guys have shaped our culture since the I would I would say the mid nineties. I, I love what you guys are doing. I love the conveyor belt strategy. I love how you go into churches. You're the only organization I can think of that goes into church that says. We want to bring you a systematic approach. We don't care about whose materials you use, but we want to bring you a systematic approach to impact men. And you've impacted 12 million men in 35,000 churches. Thank you for that. Thank you. It's great great to be with you. Thank you. Man, so powerful. So, Brett, I know our guys are going to have questions. Uh, how can they reach you? you have an email they can reach you at? Yeah, they can reach me at uh, B-A-C-L-E-M-M-E-R, B-A-Clemmer at org. And then, of course, they can go on our website, maninthemirror.org, and there's tons of free materials on there, articles, blogs, videos, all, kind, all kinds of stuff there. Man, that's so good. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to share your wisdom and your winsome experience with <laughs> our men in the arena, man, and for being a man yourself. Hey, guys, before we leave, I want to leave you with a boots-on-the-ground moment. What's next? What action step can you take to step into your best version? So here it is. Are you ready? We want you to do one thing, and here it is. Find out when and plan on attending your next men's event at your church. That's the one thing. Now, you may say, well, I don't attend church. Okay, well, then your one thing is (laughs) step up. We're going to call you out right now, and we're going to call you up and tell you to go to church this Sunday. Bring your family with you. 
Hey guys, we'll also post this boots on the ground action item in our weekly equipping blast that includes our blog, team leader coaching tips, and both episodes of our podcast and even more stuff. So subscribe to it by going to meninthearena.org and we'll send it along with an electronic version of our field guide, our 365-day bathroom book for men. Arena men, you've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. We've got some amazing resources to help you on your journey to become your best version. Guys, subscribe to this podcast. Join the Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men or sign up online to receive our weekly equipping blast. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Look in the mirror, man. Get dirty, grind it out, and be a man. This is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world on our closed Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. In our passion to help all arena men, we're offering an excellent free resource when you visit our homepage at meninthearena.org. Simply give us your email and we'll send you a free PDF version of Jim's book for men called The Field Guide, a bathroom book for men. It's a daily study of manly words in the Bible explained with great stories. Thank you for listening to this episode the Men in the Arena podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, thank you for joining men in the arena from around the world who are becoming their best version. And remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.